Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're here today. I'm so thankful that we can know that we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You know, we sometimes, I think, at least I do as a Christian, can get uh, where I forget what Christ has done for me. And I'm so thankful that He saved me, that He redeemed me through His precious shed blood on the cross. Let's go to Him in, in prayer this morning. Ask Him to bless our service. We need His help today. Father, we love You. We thank You for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin. We're thankful that You love this world enough, loved all of us enough, that You would send Your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, I thank You for the work that You did in our church this week. We thank You for those who heard the gospel this week, and we thank You for several that trusted You as their Savior. Lord, thank You for being good to us and loving us and continuing to do Your work in this place. But Lord, as we come to you this morning, we need your help. We need your help once again, every day, every moment. We need it today. Lord, we come to you to worship you today, to sing your praises. We come to you to hear from your word today, to be fed from the truth. Lord, we pray that your spirit would move in our hearts and work in us and challenge us and convict us about the things that we need to change to be more like you. Lord, we thank you for providing for our needs. Thank you for giving us the strength to come together this morning. Lord, I pray for those who are not able to be here today. Encourage and strengthen them. Encourage their minds. Encourage their bodies. Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged to know that there's a church family that loves them and is praying for them today. Pray that you'd bless all that's done in the service now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Freddie's going to come and read to us this morning from Nehemiah chapter 5. The story of Nehemiah, we have this man from Israel, but he's not been living in Israel. In fact, he has grown up in a foreign land working for a foreign king, the king that was the oppressor. In, in one sense, you could almost say the dictator over his own homeland. But God, in his work through Nehemiah, sends Nehemiah back to Israel to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Back in those days, having a wall around your city was very important for protection, for safety, for the inhabitants. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to travel uh, over into Europe for a a few weeks, and we went to a little town called Lucca in Italy, and the walls are still there around the city. In fact, it's one of the few cities over there that still has all of its walls intact. It was never defeated by an opposing army. And uh, it's very interesting when you go walk on those nowadays, you think, well, this wouldn't be a big deal. But back then, to have a city with walls around it was very important. And this city had no walls. The walls had been broken down. And so the people came together, and God began to do His work, and there was great unity among the people, and the walls were getting rebuilt. And last week, we saw the opposition that came. As the enemies from outside began to ridicule, began to make fun of them, even threatened attack. And yet God, He protected them. God worked through them and the work continued on. But in chapter 5 of Nehemiah, the attacks are not so much from outside, but now they're from inside. You know, attacks can come from inside sometimes. Come from people that you love, come from people that you care about, come from people that you want to be close to, can even come from inside of us as we battle our own sin, our own wickedness, our own wrongdoing. So I want you to listen 
as Freddie comes and reads to us the first five verses of, these, of this uh, chapter. And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. For there were that said, We are sons, and our daughters are many. Therefore we take up corn for them, that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses, that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring unto bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. I was telling somebody just the other day, you know, sometimes in life you feel like, all right, I'm going to take this step, and then I'm going to take this step, and I kind of know where I'm going and what's next. And then there's other times in life where everywhere you turn around, it just feels like big, tall walls, and you're not sure how you're going to get over any of them. But I'm thankful we serve a God that while He can help people build walls, when we feel surrounded by walls that are keeping us from going where we need to go, we also serve a God that can make a hole. He can make a way through to put us where we need to be so that we can follow Him. I'm thankful for God's provision, God's direction, and God's love for us. And as we look at Nehemiah chapter 5 this morning, I want you to know there's some very challenging things in this passage of Scripture. As we study through books of the Bible, God brings us to difficult things. And we've already heard, I gave a brief introduction a little bit ago, as God was working, the walls were being rebuilt, the people are coming together, things are great, and then the opposition comes. And that's the way life works sometimes, isn't it? Especially, I think, when we're trying to serve the Lord. The devil doesn't like it when people are trying to do right and serve the Lord. He is God's enemy, and when we stand with God, therefore He's our enemy. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness. In high places and in chapter 4 we saw these attacks as the people, the enemies didn't want those walls rebuilt. They didn't want the children of Israel to have the safety and protection. They didn't want them to be able to protect themselves from the other people that would come in and want to plunder and steal and rob and harm them. But God protected, God delivered them, God continued the work and it was a blessing to see as God's people continue to work but if you remember in the middle of chapter 4 one of the men by the name of Judah he came to Nehemiah and he said Nehemiah the people are tired the burdens are heavy we get tired in the work sometimes don't we we get tired even being faithful to serve God it gets tiring to be a mother it gets tiring to be a father it gets tiring sometimes to be a husband or to be a wife it gets tired just to be a person in this world and to live. The people were tired and so Nehemiah tried to encourage the people but you see then I think in chapter 5 then some of the negative stuff starting to rear its head again. Some of the problems continue on. Now it wasn't the problems from outside as it was the problems coming from inside. I think it's so helpful as we study God's Word, while we don't always have every detail of every story, God includes for us enough information so that we can know that as people followed God, it wasn't always easy. 
We don't get a false perspective of God and His work by studying the book of Nehemiah and think that, well, everything's always good. Things are always moving up. Things are always going in a positive direction. There's some very difficult things that come up. And this is not from the enemies without. These are from their own people. Freddie just read a few minutes ago, but notice again in verse 1, this great cry. It says there was a great cry of the people, of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. They, they were upset with each other. Well, why were they were upset? Why were they so frustrated? Why were they crying out against each other? Well, for a very good reason. As you keep reading here, you see that they said that their sons, their daughters, they, they had many of them. They said, we have lots of children and we have to take corn for them that we may eat and live. So there's not enough food. We need food. We need to feed our children. We need to feed ourselves. Verse 3, some also there were that said, we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, houses, that we might buy corn because of the dearth. They said there was a dearth, there was a, there was a famine. So in the midst of God blessing and the walls being rebuilt, at the same time, there's a famine. You know, it seems like when God is working in one area, we also have to realize that there's going to be difficulty in the other areas at the same time. You say, why can't everything just be all good all the time? Well, we live in a wicked, fallen, cursed world. It is the effects of sin. And we won't get to experience that being done, and, uh, done away with until someday we spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. Sometimes people say, well, can anything else bad happen to me? I feel like I've had this happen to me and that happen to me and now there's something else. Listen, the fact that bad, bad things happen to good people, so to speak, is not proof that God doesn't exist. It's not proof that God doesn't have power. Rather, it is an opportunity for God to show us His power. It's an opportunity for God to demonstrate His love towards us. I don't know about you, but... I can very quickly get my mind off of the truth and begin to trust in myself and in my own strength and my own ability. God allows difficulty in our life. Yes, He does. And I think He does it because He wants us even closer to Him. But the people here, some of them had had to sell their land. Some of them had mortgaged it. They'd put their land up as collateral for loans that they needed to take so that they could get food. It gets even worse, though. In verse 4, there were people that said, we've borrowed money for the king's tribute. Remember the children of Israel, there was an occupying force that was in charge. The Persians were the rulers over them, and they required them to pay heavy tribute. Large amounts of money and goods were sent to the king for his protection. Which basically, man, if you didn't pay him, he was going to bring his soldiers in and wipe you out. So they had had to sell or to borrow money so that they could pay the king's tribute. It says in verse 5, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren. Our children is their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. The weight of the tribute, the problems with the famine had become so heavy that they had even sold their sons and daughters 
to be able to pay for the food that they needed. On one hand, you see walls being rebuilt, great things taking place, great hope, great opportunity. On the other hand, you hear a people that are hopeless. How hopeless would you have to be to sell one of your children so that you could buy food? You know, there are people that are like that in this world today. You say, that doesn't exist. It does. I saw a video just a couple weeks ago. Simon Peter showed me of families in certain places around the world that have nothing. And so they're so hopeless they would even sell their children just to get a few dollars to buy food. You say, that really happens? Yeah. These were hopeless people. These people didn't know what to do. It says... Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. Here's the really, really sad thing about this. If that wasn't sad enough, the other men they were talking about were their own brothers. Their own people were taking advantage of them. They saw an opportunity. There was hopelessness. People were struggling. There was a a terrible downturn in the economy. That's putting it very mildly. There's famine. There's no food. So the people, the Israelites in the land that had money, they were lending it out. They said, for that money, you're going to have to give us your land. For that money, oh, you don't have any land? Give us your children as slaves. How sad. We see people, even in the midst of God's great blessing in the land, as walls are being rebuilt, as there is great unity. You saw that back in chapter 3. You see other people who are willing to take advantage of their brothers and sisters because of their own selfish motivation to get more for themselves. I don't know what was going on in their heads. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know what they were feeling. But I know it was wrong. It's wrong to take advantage of somebody else for your own selfish gain. And in fact, you see that talked about as you continue reading in the chapter. He says in verse 6, I was very angry when I heard their cry. I want us to take a few minutes though this morning and, and focus on this. Really, I would call it selfishness, the sin of selfishness. And this sin of selfishness was weakening God's people, the very people that had come together to work together to build a wall around the city for their mutual benefit, for their mutual protection. Poor people, rich people, everybody came together to rebuild this wall, but some of the people were taking advantage of others because of their financial need. We see the sin of selfishness here as it gets in and it weakens these people. When the enemies failed in their attack from the outside, Satan then begins to bring attacks from within. One of his favorite weapons is selfishness. That's not just true back in the time of Nehemiah and the children of Israel. That is true today. If 
The devil can get us thinking about ourselves and what we want and just getting more for ourselves and building up our own self. Then he will win the victory before we even realize that he is at work. He's already won. He's got us shooting at each other. And that's what the people are doing here. They're fighting amongst themselves. They're upset at each other. I think sometimes the devil just comes in, stirs the pot, steps out and let us finish each other off. You know, we can read about that in other passages of Scripture. In fact, the Bible says in James 3 verse 16, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. This is a real problem in the people. This is a real problem in the land. Do you think the wall is going to get rebuilt with all this fighting going on? No. In fact, the wall was continuing on better when the attacks were from without than now the attacks have moved inside the wall. Galatians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 says, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. When God is at work, we must prepare ourselves for the attacks from Satan. They can come from without or within. They can come when we feel weak. And I would say especially they can come when we think or feel that we're strong. I wonder what was going on with some of the people here. Look at us. We're rebuilding the walls. Look at us. We've pushed back the enemies from outside. This is a great work going on. And maybe there's some backslapping going on. Maybe there's some encouragement going on. Maybe there's some strength. When you think that you stand, take heed lest you fall. The people were selfish. Some were not taking care of the needs of others. They're taking advantage of others. When we look out for our own selves before anyone else, we are always in sin. We're selfish. The people here that were affected by selfishness, you had the people who owned no land but needed food. They were affected by the selfishness. You had the people who had mortgaged their property to buy food. They were affected by the selfishness. As people said, yeah, give me, I need all that land. They saw them in a, in a time of need. No, this corn's going to cost you a lot more than it was previously because now there's a need. There were also the people who couldn't afford taxes and had to borrow money to pay them. So they had to give their property as security so that they could pay the taxes. Again and again and again, we see people affected by selfishness. But you know, they weren't the only ones affected by selfishness. There were also the people who were willing to exploit their brothers and sisters. The people willing to take advantage, the selfish people, you know, they're affected by selfishness too. Think about it. Who all was involved in rebuilding the wall? It was everybody. If some people are taking advantage of other people and it's keeping those people from doing the work that needs to be done, it's even affecting the people that are trying to take advantage, doesn't it? 
You see, selfishness hurts everybody. People think, well, if I'm selfish, it only hurts me or it only hurts that one person that I'm taking from. No, it hurts everybody. There's nobody that's immune from the effects of selfishness. We'll see that as we continue on in this passage this morning. Why were the people in this situation? Well, they'd been paying tribute for many years. I would say that perhaps, and this is not spelled out clearly for us in the text, but just trying to put ourselves in the mind place of where these people would have been. As they've paid tribute for many years, as they've lived without walls for many years, as they had had lots of struggle, I wonder if some of the people had sort of gone into survival mode. They were trying to get whatever they could with no thought of anyone else. They thought, you know, nobody's going to look out for me except me. So I better get what I can get while I can get it because that's the best I can do. And I got to at least take care of me. You know, that attitude happens today, doesn't it? It happens in marriages. It happens in churches. It happens in workplaces. It's people look out for themselves instead of anyone else. Because if I don't look out for me, who else is going to do it? Let me encourage you this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. You have a God who will never leave you or forsake you. You have a God who can, can and will provide all your needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You have a friend in Jesus. You have a God who's always with you. God will take up for the offenses that may take place. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Trust in God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Don't allow the difficulties and the frustrations and the attacks from other people cause you to turn in on yourself and become a selfish, sinful person. We can excuse it in our minds by saying, listen, but I've got to take care of me. No, you don't. God will take care of you. The Bible says, Jesus in His own words, He says that even if a sparrow were to fall from heaven, God knows it. He tells us that God knows the number of hairs that we have on our head. God knows. God is with us. God can provide he can take care of food. He can take care of clothes. He can take care of shelter. He can take care of transportation. He can take care of any and every need that we have. But it brings up the question, then why am I so frustrated all the time? Well, maybe it's because we're living more for what we want than for what we need. But we're really good, like some little children have learned, when they ask for something at the grocery store, they're on the toy aisle, and they say, Mommy, I want that. Mommy says, No, you don't need that right now. And the next time they go to the grocery store, But Mommy, can I have that? I want that. And Mommy says, No, no, buddy, you don't need that right now. And then they go to the grocery store again, Mommy, I need that. I need that, Mommy. And all of a sudden, Mommy goes, Uh-oh, we have a problem 
on our hands. Little Johnny doesn't understand what needs are and what wants are. And I would tell you, even as adults, teenagers, people at various stages of life, we struggle with that today too, don't we? We look around, we say, I need that, I need that, I need that. I firmly believe, based on the Word of God, that God supplies needs, that if you truly need it, God will give it to you. And if He hasn't given it to you yet, it's because you don't need it, at least not yet. Say, but I need this right now. If you needed it right now, if God's really your Father, He would give it to you right now. Trust your Father. Say, but I can look around, I can see all this, i got to get what I can get. No, trust your Father. Rest in Him. He loves you and I care for you. Listen, I know that doesn't make sense in the world that we live in. That's not our natural response. Everything inside of us is, no, i got to do it. Trust in God. He'll take care of you far better than you could ever take care of yourself. We could have testimony time right now. I'm sure some people could say, I can tell you, Pastor, of when God has provided for me. And when I look back now, even at the time, I didn't know where it was come from. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know what I was going to do. But God took care of me. And in fact, He took care of me far better than I could have ever imagined. Anybody say amen with me on that? Amen. amen. God's good, isn't He? But these people, they had found themselves in a very difficult place. I mean, we could excuse their selfishness in some regard. At least we might want to because we often find ourselves in, the, in, this, own, in this same place of selfishness. Situations are difficult. Problems are all around us. I'm just trying to take care of myself. But folks, when we live in that place, we hurt ourselves and we hurt everybody around us. You know, the opening of chapter 5 of Nehemiah is very similar to the beginning of chapter 6 in the book of Acts. Some of you are Bible students and you'll know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't read that, let me catch you up to speed. Acts chapter 6, in the book of Acts, we see the beginnings of the church. People are being saved. The Bible says over and over in those first few books that the Lord was adding to the church daily such as should be saved. I mean, it's incredible what's going on. But in Acts chapter 6, it says, And there arose a murmuring among the Grecians about the care for their widows. You say, what was that all about? All of a sudden, there were people in the church saying, Wait a minute. My widowed mother is not getting as much attention and cared for in the church as his widowed mother. Wow. Can't we just forget about that? I mean, God's good. The church is growing. Everything's great. But it's not fair. <laughs> we got to make sure everybody's cared for equally. And that is when you see then men being chosen out from among the church to help care for the needs of the widows. That's a good thing. It's not saying we shouldn't care for the needs of widows, right? But what was happening, because there was some friction there, because all the widows weren't getting maybe what they needed or what they wanted or, or it wasn't quite equal, there arose dissatisfaction. I would say probably even some selfishness came out in the church. 
So in Nehemiah chapter 5, the people are fighting with one another. They're people taking advantage of one another. But as we continue on in Nehemiah, we see then the solution to this selfishness. Look at verse 6 with me. And I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Then I consulted with myself and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, Ye exact usury, every one of his brother. And I set a great assembly against them. Now think about what's happening. They're building a wall. Remember I said everybody's affected by this selfishness. What's just happened? Because of the disagreement, because people are taking advantage of others, Nehemiah has to call everybody together. Now remember, enemies still wanting to attack from the outside, enemies trying to come in. They had to stop building the wall to solve this problem. See, when sin is working, when sin is fighting, it's tough to keep building when the sin is not being dealt with. you got to deal with the sin. Nehemiah had to deal with the selfishness. Nehemiah had to deal with the frustration of the people because it was keeping them from working. I mean, think about it. I'm working here. This guy's working over here. And I look down. I say, wait a minute. That's the guy that just bought my son as a slave. I don't want to work with him. I'm not going to build a wall to protect him. This is a bad thing going on. They had to stop the forward progress of the wall being built so that they could deal with the sin. Nehemiah says then in verse number 8, And I said unto them, We, after our ability, have redeemed our brethren, the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. And will ye even sell your brethren, or shall they be sold unto us? Then held they their peace and found nothing to answer. Also, I said, it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen of our enemies? I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn. I pray you, let us leave off this usury. Restore, I pray you, to them even this day their lands, their vineyards, their olive yards, and their houses, also the hundredth part of the money and of the corn, the wine and the oil that ye exact of them. Then said they, we will restore them and will require nothing of them. So will we do as thou sayest. I want to take some time. There's a lot going on in those verses and help you think through it. Because this is a very interesting story. And because God inspired it, had it written down in His Word, it's to instruct us how to live with this and how to live in our life and deal with sin, selfishness, pride that was going on. Notice, first of all, Nehemiah in verse 6, it says, He was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Now, we could look at this anger and say, Oh, he got angry. Being angry, being upset about sin is not a bad thing. The Bible does say we ought to control our anger. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. But even Jesus Christ himself got angry when there was sin in the temple. The Bible says he actually made a whip 
and took it to clean out the money changers and the people that were taking advantage of other people in the temple. Jesus got upset when people took advantage of other people. Nehemiah was upset that people were taking advantage of other people. Listen, I think it ought to move something in us when we see someone taking advantage of somebody else. Nehemiah was angry about this. Nehemiah was not just a politician who went to the assembly and said, what is popular, or a diplomat, a diplomat who asked, what is safe? He was a true leader who asked, what is right? We need to ask ourselves the same question when it comes to situations that we face whether it's in our church, our family, as individuals. What is right? We don't do things as a Christian, or we shouldn't do things as a Christian, because of what's popular, because the crowd is not always right. We shouldn't do things as a Christian based on just what is safe, because what is safe is not necessarily right. People have been imprisoned, and all kinds of awful things have happened and put to death for their faith. In Christ. Instead, we ought to ask ourselves, what is right? Nehemiah, he recognizes the sin here. I would tell us we must not cover up sin. We need to recognize its power to bring problems in a community, to bring problems and discord and separate people. Don't try to cover it up. Sweep it under the rug. Go on down the road. And let me challenge you this morning. Before you sit in your seat, and I, I can be guilty of this too, and just think of all those other people that need to get their sin right. Think of yourself first in the sense of, God, what do you need to show me about my own life? Is there something that I need to get right with you this morning? God, am I a... A selfish person? God, am I a proud person? Do I, am I just living for myself in some area? God, if there's that area in me, would you show it to me? And I want to be right before you. That ought to be our attitude, because sometimes we can even get selfish when we hear preaching, because we sit here and go, yep, if, if, if he would get this, it would really be good for him. No, if you would get it, it would be good for you, okay? If I would get it, it would be good for me, all right? We all need this. Like the little chorus goes, it's me. It's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, right? Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So don't cover up sin. Recognize its power. Here's a question I was thinking about as I studied this passage. Why didn't Nehemiah know about this problem sooner? Why is he just now hearing about it? Well, think about it. Nehemiah hadn't lived around these people. He had come in from a foreign land with a purpose. We are going to rebuild the wall. Realize not everybody may know everything about you. But don't let your own sin of selfishness affect everybody else. Deal with the sin. Make it right. Confess it to God. Nehemiah didn't know what was going on because building the wall didn't create the problem of selfishness among the people. It just revealed the sin that was already there. When people come together, two people get married. That doesn't make them selfish. No, it just reveals the selfishness that's already there. 
When you have a child, I remember this very distinctly. I got married and I thought, you know, we had to work through some of that newlywed stuff and work on our communication and mostly me. I had to work on my communication and she communicated well and kind of got going. I thought, you know, here I am caring for my wife. I'm loving her. I'm taking care of everything she needs. I'm really doing great. I have advanced a lot in my spiritual life. And, and then Trevor was born. And I was reminded, oh, no, I'm still a selfish person. I would think, why can't he just sleep through the night? Doesn't he know we want sleep? I'm picking on Trevor because he's 11 years old and he can handle this, I think. But I don't do it very much. But you would think that as a parent. And then the Lord had to remind you, wait a minute. This is a baby. Why am I so selfish? Just go take care of him. That's what he needs. He doesn't need me trying to get something for myself, get more sleep, get more rest, take care of me. No, he needs me to take care of him. Boy, God really worked me over. And I became a completely unselfish person. <laughs> until Micah was born. <laughs> and then I realized once again, no, Micah didn't make me selfish. Trevor didn't make me selfish. Shandy didn't make me selfish. I'm just selfish. Right? We all need to be able to admit that in our own lives, don't we? That person doesn't make you selfish. That problem doesn't make you selfish. This difficulty doesn't make you selfish. We're selfish people. It's how we're born. And we have to learn to walk with God and ask God to change us from the inside out. We have to allow God to work on us and change us. Don't cover up sin and pretend like, I've arrived. I'm just not a selfish person anymore. Because guess what? There's going to be something comes along in your life. It may be a difficulty, maybe a hardship, maybe a problem. It'll reveal what's already there. It's not because it, that bad thing put it there. It's because it was already there. And just the hard thing brought it out. Just like when you stick those coffee grounds in the hot water in the morning. Or you pour that hot water over your coffee. You make your espresso, however you do it. I know everybody's got their own little way. The heat in that water releases the flavor in those beans. And the water, if it's clean water, it does what it does. What's in the beans determines what the flavor is in the cup. If you've got good beans and you already had the good water, the coffee will be good. If you have bad beans, the coffee will be bad. I would ask you this morning, what kind of beans do you have inside of you? The reality is we're all sinners. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We need the Lord to deal with our own sins of selfishness. As the people began to see God bless and provide as the wall was built, I think some of them looked around. They realized that now they would have protection, that God was with them. God had been providing for them. As the hope of some was realized, the selfishness of others was revealed. Some said, well, now we have a hope of a wall protecting us. But others looked around and said, yeah, but our money's gone. We have no food. We may have a wall, but now we can't eat. 
when God protected them in one area, they began to realize that they had a leader in Nehemiah that could do something about this other gigantic problem in the land. And I think that's why they came to Nehemiah. So we see Nehemiah, he, he didn't cover up the sin, and we'll actually see him start to deal with it very soon here. It, it moved him. It, he was angry about it. But notice the next thing he did, verse 7, then I consulted with myself. I would tell you, Nehemiah took time to get control of his feelings. Because when we get angry and upset about something, some of you, you just want to go out and punch it, right? But that doesn't always fix the problem, does it? Some of you want to just yell at it, and that'll fix the problem. No, it never does. It makes it worse, right? When something moves us, even if it's sinful and we feel, mmm, that righteous indignation, if you will, we need to be careful then to take time to control our emotions, to step back and to pray. God, what do you want me to do? God, what does your word say? God, I know this is wrong. I need to deal with it. I need to even deal with it in my own heart. Lord, I need to consult with myself. That's what he does here. When someone treats you selfishly as they focus on themselves more than on you, it is easy to respond with frustration and say, you did me wrong. While Nehemiah was angry with their sin as he should have been, before he responded to them in anger, he made sure he had control over himself. Proverbs 16.32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his own spirit than he that taketh a city. If a person can't control themselves, they will never be successful in trying to help others. You've got to learn to walk with God and be able to control yourself. But he doesn't stop here. Nehemiah, he's upset about this. He, he takes time to control his emotions. But then we see right there in verse 7, And I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. His rebuke to them had a number of parts to it. First of all, though, he appeals to their love. Notice he says, He exact usury every one of his brother. These are your brothers. Usury is, was interest, and they were taking too much interest. They, they were taking advantage of these people. He said, these are your brothers. You're not supposed to do that. It's your brother. There should be some love there, a relationship there. I, I wouldn't want to take advantage of my brother. At least that's how I should think. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. In unity. This is tough to preach because my own brother sits in the service this morning, one of them, and he would probably give testimony. There's been times I haven't treated him in love, and yet I should. We all should. He appealed to their love. Then his rebuke notice, though, also was based on the Word of God. As he told them, you exact usury, every one of his brother, he's referring back to God's commands to the children of Israel that forbade them from taking interest from one another. They weren't supposed to do it. It's not wrong to lend money to somebody else. The Bible didn't forbid that. It was wrong for them to earn an interest against their own brother. 
Many people think that as long as they give their tithe or their offering to the Lord, then they can do whatever they want with the rest of their money because it's theirs. They fail to misunderstand that every good gift that we have comes from God. It's all His. Now, God is, I would say, very gracious to us in that He doesn't ask for us to just hand it all back to Him and live on nothing. No, He just he lets us live on most of it. And He just asks for some of it back. But this money that these people were using to take advantage of their brothers, this was not right. His rebuke, though, also, we see in verse 8, was a reminder to them of God's redemptive plan for Israel. Notice in verse 8, he says, We, after our ability, have redeemed our brethren, the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. You say, what was going on here? Okay, Nehemiah lived back in Persia, and he had a position of importance. He probably made good money. And he used some of that money to go and to buy some of his brothers, other Jewish people, out of slavery that had been slaved in Persia. That's a good thing, right? His friend or somebody that he knew was in slavery, and he paid the money so that they could get out of slavery. He redeemed them. That's the word he uses here. Now, that's a wonderful thing, but it's also, I think, a bit of foreshadowing. If you've studied your Bible, because there was one coming who would be the great Redeemer of Israel. And not only the Redeemer of Israel, but the Redeemer of the whole world. That one is Jesus Christ. He came to pay the penalty for sin. And He died on the cross for us so that our sins were paid for. So instead of us having to pay for our own penalty, Jesus paid it for us to redeem us, to buy us back to Himself so that we could spend an eternity in heaven with Him and not have to pay the penalty for our own sin that we've enslaved ourselves to. See, Nehemiah was doing that work in a very small way and in a very physical way. He couldn't pay for their sins, but he could pay their physical debt. And I think Nehemiah, in challenging the people with this, was telling them, look at my example. Look, we were buying people out of slavery, and you're enslaving your own brothers. Freedom is life that's governed by truth and motivated by love. They were motivated, these people were motivated by greed and selfishness and ignoring the truth of God's Word. They were in bondage just like their creditors were in bondage. They may have had money, they may have had slaves, they may have had land and property, but they were in bondage to their own sin. And in fact, in a very visual way, they were keeping the wall from being built that would protect them and their money and their land. How foolish it is to live in sin and selfishness. And yet, when you're in the middle of your own sin, it's like that's all you can see. You say, well, I can't get out of this. I can't change. It's going to be too hard. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose that. Listen, if you don't, Give it to God, you're going to lose everything anyway. Lay not up for yourselves 
treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Well, the Bible says, rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's all that we get to keep anyway, is what is with the Lord. But his rebuke had another part here. He reminded them of their testimony to others. Look at verse number 9. Also I said, It is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? Notice as Nehemiah is coming at these people that were doing wrong, he asks them these questions. Verse 8, they can't even respond to him. They can't answer because they realize, yeah, you've got us. We're doing wrong. In verse 9, he says, oh, and on top of that, you're a reproach. All the heathen, all the wicked around us that have been trying to attack us, they might as well just go home and relax because we're going to do ourselves in. They don't even have to attack. How sad that Christians, that God has put here, to be His soldiers, to live for Him, to advance the cause of Christ in this world, are sometimes so caught up in their own sin, their own squabbling, their own selfishness, that rather than doing anything to advance the cause of Christ, no, they're just busy destroying each other. And we wonder why the church is in the shape that it's in today. We wonder why our country's in the shape that it's in today. We wonder why our world is in the shape that it's in today. Folks, we have to realize it starts with me. And it starts with you. I've got to be right with God. You've got to be right with God. Each of us must walk with God and do right before Him. And as a church, we can encourage one another. We ought to be helping one another walk with God. There are going to be people in our church that go through difficult times. There are going to be people that struggle, people that fail, people that fall, people that, man, they just go flat on their face. And that's why you need church friends and family to come around and lift you up. Say, let's get back out. Let's dust you off. Let's get you back going where you need to go. There's a family that loves you. There's people that are going to help you. The Bible says a just man falleth seven times and yet riseth up again. In other words, you're going to fall. You're going to fail. Why? Because you're a human being. But when you're following God, you can get up again. And when you have a church family around you, you can be lifted up and continue to walk with God. But oh, we must realize our sin. Oh, it brings a terrible reproach to the name of Christ. How many pastors have committed great and atrocious sins and turned many of their congregations away from the Lord? How many fathers have done awful things and their children find out and they walk far from God? How many mothers even have walked away? Listen, folks, sin is a very real thing. And it destroys, it tears apart, it breaks down. Here they are trying to build up a wall. And at the same time, the people are tearing down each other. It just doesn't work. But his challenge to them was to be reminded that they had a testimony to others. Nehemiah also 
rebuke them by reminding them of God's judgment. This is not one we like to think about a lot, but it's a reality. Verse 12 and 13, he said, Then said they, We will restore them and will require nothing of them, so will we do as thou sayest. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. Verse 13, Also I shook my lamp, and I said, So God, shake out every man from his house, from his labor that performeth not this promise. Even thus be he shaken out and emptied. He's reminding them, God will judge you if you don't do right to others. Now, if you're reading through the passage, you see this judgment, this promise of judgment comes. But fortunately, the people have repented. It comes after they say, okay, you are right, Nehemiah. We will give it all back. We'll give the property back. We'll give our, their children back. We'll let even have their money back. Even all the interest that we took, we're going to give it back to them. And that's a good thing. One encouraging thing in this book at this juncture is the people responded well to this. There was a great problem, and there will always be problems. There will always be difficulties. There will always be some new sin or some new issue between people. But God is faithful. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess it to God. Get right. As Nehemiah tells them in verse 11, restore everything to them. Verse 12, it says, we will restore them. We will require nothing of them. We will do as thou sayest. And you look at the end of verse 13, it says, and the people did according to this promise. They dealt with the sin. These people came to a place where they feared the Lord. They wanted to honor Him. They wanted to do what's right. I would tell you, it'd be far better to lose your money than to lose your testimony to the lost. Nehemiah says, what are the heathen going to think? You're going to bring a reproach to the heathen, our enemies. Folks, if, if there's a situation and it means giving up something that's even rightfully yours, but by giving it up it allows you to maintain a good, godly testimony before the Lord, trust God to take care of you and give it up. Your testimony to the lost is more important because how valuable is one soul? I would tell you it's worth enough for Jesus to come and to give His life. If Jesus would come to die for you and for me, then if I had to give something up, let something go, forgive somebody, it'd be worth it. That'd just be a small price to pay so that I could share the gospel with them. Make it right. Verse 10, if you go back there, you can see that he's not saying you can't lend money. In fact, he said that I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn. 
But he says, I pray you let us leave off this usury. How do they make it right? He's not saying you can't function as a society. Just stop taking advantage of other people. There's still buying and selling going on. He's not telling them to stop doing that. Make it right. He tells them to give back to others if, he had take, if they had taken from them selfishly. And then the challenge, I would say, there's a couple of them here. Verse 15, he challenges them to put God first. Verse 14, Nehemiah speaks about the fact that he had been the governor there in the land of Judah and he didn't take advantage. He didn't take even what was considered or could be considered rightfully his because he didn't want to be a burden to the people. He didn't use his political position as a place to gain stuff for himself. Boy, we live in a country that some leaders would be good to listen to that truth. How many people get elected into office and they have very little and they come out with lots and lots. It wasn't because their salary was so much. Where did it all come from? Maybe because they used their position of influence for selfish reasons rather than to help the people that they supposedly were elected to serve. But before we just point our finger and wag it at those politicians, point it at ourselves and say, God, am I using my position? Am I using my influence? Am I using what you've given me? It all came from you anyway, God. Am I using it to take advantage of other people for my own selfish reasons? If we're doing that, it's sin. Put God first. What God wants for you is far more valuable than anything that you could get for yourself through selfishness. One writer, maybe of you, many of you have probably read some of his devotionals, Oswald Chambers. He said this, When you fear God, you fear nothing else. But if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Because Nehemiah's life was motivated by the fear of God, he did not fear what the enemy might do. You see that in verse 15. He says, The former governors that had been before me were chargeable unto the people and taken to them bread and wine beside forty shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people, but so did not I because of the fear of God. Nehemiah said, I'm, I'm putting God first. I'm not worried about what everybody else might do to me or say about me. I'm going to serve God. He put God first. Somebody said this. I think it's a good analogy. Lighthouses blow no horns. They only shine. Nehemiah didn't have to blow his horn and say, Look, give me this, give me this. No, he said, I'm going to fear God. God used him as a light to point people to Him. Nehemiah used his privileges to help people not to get things selfishly for himself. I'm going quickly here for sake of time. There's many things here as he discussed the details of how he cared for others and how he had food prepared for them, how he had visitors come and stay at his house and eat his food that he was paying for with his own money, all wonderful things. But I want to finish this morning in verse 19 as Nehemiah prays to God. He says, think upon me, my God. 
or good. According to all that I have done for this people. Our final point this morning, live to please God and not yourself. There's a little poem that says, Jesus and others and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. Jesus should have first place, others second, yourself last. But when we keep God first, it brings joy to our heart. When we put others ahead of ourselves, it brings joy wherever we live, in our relationships, workplace, church, as we raise our children. Folks, I know this isn't natural. What's natural is to be selfish, to get what's mine, fight everybody else, be frustrated, upset. I get it. It's my natural response too. We're all human beings in here this morning, as far as I can tell. I don't think there's any extraterrestrials here today. <laughs> but because we're here and we're flesh and we bleed, we've got problems. We need God. We must put Him first. Can I challenge you this morning as we close in a word of prayer to examine your own heart? In just a couple minutes, we're going to take some time to observe the Lord's table this morning. We're going to take from the bread, grape juice, as we look at this picture of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken and His blood that was shed for our sin. But as we eat and drink, the Bible says, don't do it unworthily. That means coming to it with whole bunch of wickedness in my heart that I'm not confessing to God. This is time to get right with God right now. The great thing about getting right with God is some people say, well, you're going to have to do all this stuff to be right with God. You can't do enough to be right with God. Well, you better have the offering first because I've got to give a big offering to get... Nope, that's not going to make you right with God. We're not going to have the offering first. Well, i got to, you know, go crawl back to my house on my knees and feel some pain. No, that's not going to make you right with God. It's very simple to come to God. When you come to God, you come to Him as just a poor, contrite, humble person. Say, God, I need you. I've done wrong. I've hurt myself. I've hurt other people in my relationships. I need you to forgive me. I'm weak. I can't do this on my own. But if you'd forgive me, would you forgive me, please? Not because I deserve it, but because Jesus Christ died in my place. And If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you could do that this morning. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin. Trust in Him. Say, dear Lord, I, I want to trust in you. I want you to be my Savior. I need forgiveness. He'll give it to you this morning. He doesn't hold back. He gives it freely. It's a free gift. His forgiveness is offered to all who will receive it. Will you receive it this morning? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Have the piano play just to keep our thoughts focused this morning. But I'm going to pray out loud and then you take some time to pray in your heart. If you need me to pray with you, I'm here. I'm available But let's get alone with God. Father, help us. Forgive us. We need you. Lord, there's so much that could be said on this topic. But as I look through this 
story of Nehemiah and study it, I just reminded how alike we are with these people that when good things happen on one hand, we can often allow our own sin to tear it all down. Lord, help us to confess that to you this morning. Be right and serve you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.